This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon. I'm here with Chris Martinez, and uh, you may not know his face, but if you listen to this podcast, you almost certainly know his company, Failing Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, your company is undoubtedly one of the leaders in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gear and apparel. And I'm extremely excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I'm very happy to be here, my friend. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're a good, uh, a good candidate for someone to be involved with this project as someone who's you know, dedicated your life and career to not only the sport that we love, but also building a business around it. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally is how I got started. Actually, my license on my car, the license plate says no gi because <laughs> of what it's given to me. And yeah, wow. before starting Phalanx, I was working at a, a, a dead end job. I was so unhappy and just I was the guy that hated Monday through Thursday, half of Friday and, the, and half of Sunday because it was close to Monday. <laughs> and so I went from that guy to, you know, where I am now, I have a couple companies, but it all started from, from there. Well, it sounds like you're a little bit like me. I, 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 I'm lucky that I always love what I do, but to me, it's not Monday. It's just no gi at 630, <laughs> gi at 630, gi at 830. Just the, the day is just when I get to jujitsu. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so, so take, take us back. Where are you from? Born and raised in Northern California, a little small town called Placerville that probably none of your listeners have heard of. And uh, then I made my way down to San Diego at one point and I was going to college there, graduated, got a job, worked in a cubicle. That was the thing I was telling you about. Um, but uh, I actually started doing jujitsu a really long time ago. Um, but I'm one of those I'm taking the long way to black belt. I'm the guy that goes once or twice a week tops, but has not stopped since I started 10 years ago. So, or more. So, um, yeah, I basically came from there, made my way to San Diego and, and that's where I really started to grow and turn Phalanx into something real. So Phalanx is about 10 years old. Phalanx was founded in 2011, so we're a little older than that. And mm -hmm. um, at the time, I was living in Huntington Beach, California, and I was working that dead-end job I mentioned. And uh, I, so I loved jujitsu. And um, at the time, I was just doing gi. And I thought, these this was a long time ago, you have to keep in mind. This is 2011. Like, stuff's mm -hmm. changed since then. But back then, you had a competition jacket, and they had, like, more of a judo-style jacket. And then that was it. There wasn't all these different cuts and all that. And then there was the pants and the pants were these terrible tubular cinch into them type things. And so what I decided to do was like, well, I love jujitsu. I think I could make a better gi, but the jacket's pretty good. So I'm just going to start with the pants because those have never been evolved. And so I actually bought a sewing machine. I learned how to use it on YouTube. I went to Joanne's fabric and I bought a bunch of stuff. And then I just started making things and I took all my existing products that I just bought and I took all of the thread out one at a time so I could see the actual panels. And then I just stapled them to my wall all over my apartment. I was, live, I was single. I could just do whatever. So all over my apartment, I just kind of studied them because I had zero background in fashion patterns. None of that. My background is in geology. It's in science and physics. Hmm. That's nothing to do with it. 
And so um, that's when I just started to make them. I made my own pair of gi pants. And a couple iterations later, I ended up with um, one pair. And they're just, I, I, I love them. I love them so much. Um, you know, I got rid of the drawstring thing. I put an elastic waistband there. I got the seams go down the legs. There's articulation in the leg. So they're made to be bent. The gi pants are bent like motorcycle pants. So it was yeah. built that way because when are you, when do you have your legs straight besides getting knee barred and standing at attention at the end, you're, you're never <laughs> have your legs straight. So I built the pants to be that way. And then I had, I tweaked the gusset on it and I did all these things and I put a lot of work into it. And then what ended up happening was um, I got a pair to Eddie Bravo and he flipped out over him. He was like, Oh my God, he ended up going to a seminar. And then he was wearing those pants and I was like, Hey, how are you liking them pants? He's like, Oh, that's you. You made these. He's like, these are million dollar gi pants. Well, that's what kind of got me on the map with, um, 10th planet. Um, yeah. I was also training at a 10th planet. And since Eddie had only wears, um, gi pants, he doesn't really wear shorts. He's a gi pants guy. So I just knew that even though I made these gi pants and it's more of the gi world, Eddie would be a cool dude. And I was a 10th planet guy. So it ended up getting to him. And then that he ended up saying a lot of beautiful things about it. And I was able to sell them for a little while, but I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about business. And so those pants were actually, they were never going to make it. Now that I, when I look back on it because of the level of construction involved, the yeah. how they were just so expensive i mean he called a million dollar gi pants but for me to actually make a profit on them i'd probably have to sell them for like 300 dollars. <laughs> granted they they there's people who dm me to this day who still have those from 10 years ago when i was selling them and they're still rocking them so they're bulletproof probably worth a couple hundred dollars but it just was a kind of not gonna work so um i started to change and, and evolve from there but that was the inception point that was that was the moment of alchemy, the uh, the spark of innovation. I always call it in my business is when you have that moment of you know no return or like I got to be a business. So you basically were a scientist and you just like sci I think Matt Damon in that movie where he's in Mars is like I'm just gonna science the shit out of this and he <laughs> just like takes over. So you just science the shit out of gi pants and like I'm gonna build better gi pants. Yeah, and then I did the same thing with rash guards. I didn't like how it was choking me. I didn't like how crappy they were. And so yeah. I did the same exact thing. I found my own material. And so I just kept going and going. And so, yeah, yeah. That it's, uh, I, I'm not really good at inventing things, but I'm extremely good at making things better. Hmm. That's an, Well, we have a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to do my best to remember everything. But I, I kind of want to just take it back to the beginning for one second. Uh, point of clarification. So you were training in the gi at uh, 10th Planet or this you, you started somewhere and then went to a different gym? Yeah. So I was at a gym. I don't want to say the name because mm -hmm. I was not a good experience okay. um, at that gym. There's, you know, we can get into some of the, what I've learned there. Um, so I was training in a gym and I was doing all gi and I was doing that for probably two years or so. Um, and then I was watching, you know what it was? I was watching Joe Rogan and Eddie Bravo on some old website called Justin TV. Sure. Back in 2010 or 2011. And Eddie was talking about 
jujitsu and there, I was like, man, this sounds cool. This I'd never really done Nogi. Yeah. And so I did one Nogi class at my, at that existing gym. They only had one Nogi class a week. And again, you have to keep in mind, this was 11 years ago. Nogi was not really even respected back then. And I was in a Brazilian jujitsu gym, very proud gym. So they were just like, yeah, we'll do Nogi, but you got to do the key. And so I loved it. And then I'm watching these things with Eddie. And I'm like, maybe I'll go try them out. And so 10th Planet Costa Mesa had just opened. And so I just decided, well, I'll go check them out. And I went down there. And the moment I walked in, there was music playing. People were having a good time. The head instructor his, at the time, his name is Casey Halstead. He jumped off the mat. I have no idea who I was. Just some dude walks in, jumps off the mat, comes over to me, introduces himself very gregarious and warming and then invites me onto the mat and says, let's figure out where your nogi's at. You've been doing gi for so long. Let's figure it out. And it was such a beautiful experience being just welcomed in as a stranger. And I loved it so much that I just like, you know, I think I just want to do nogi. And since then, for the, since that 2011, I've only done nogi except for occasional times some of my buddies will make me put on a gi just to tune me up but in general all i'm into is no gi i respect the hell out of gi i have tremendous respect for it but my passion is no gi wow well uh we started around the same time i started in 2009 uh, i became aware of jiu-jitsu around 2005 with the ultimate fighter show and I don't even think that at that time it was like settled that it would be called MMA, mixed martial arts. Like I remember when I was in college up in Boston, I was still going to NHB shows, no holds barred. Yeah. And the event wasn't promoted as a mixed martial arts fight, it was promoted as an NHB fight. And there were all these little clothing brands trying to get it. There was one called Victory, where they spelled it V-I-K-O, and K-O was big in the middle, and then Turi. And then so there was like all that, that was what's happening. And then when I graduated, I stepped on the mat to do jujitsu and we had to wear the Fuji uniform, you know, Fuji, yeah. Kimono, yeah, yeah. no patches. One night I came in with an American flag patch stitched to my arm and my professor, who's still my sensei to this day, he pulled me to the side and he said, I'm going to let this slide because it's American flag patch, but no other patches, no other thing, Fuji. And, um, mm. and at the time that you only really get mixed martial arts gear, you know, Hayabusa started to come out with some things. And I remember I bought the very first pair of, uh, Fuji Nogi grappling shorts. They were royal blue. And this was like a revolution. And we weren't even allowed to do Nogi until we got our blue belts at the time. Oh. So I don't even think I did my first Nogi class probably until, so that was right around when you got probably like, you know, 2010, 2011 in that frame. Yeah. And I would scour the internet for anything that was jujitsu gear, anything I could find that was jujitsu. And there was basically very, very little. And oh, what yeah. was interesting about that time and any of my teammates and my sensei who were around from that era is like we all had the exact same gear because that was all there was. Mm -hmm. You know, Hayabusa made one rash guard at the time. Yeah. One, one jujitsu rash guard. Uh, Fuji made one rash guard, one pair of shorts. And so those early days, there, there was really not much. And just, you know, what I'm building to here is that Hayabusa came out with like a pair of just gi pants at the time that had a little clipping belt on it, but they were like, I remember oh, that. They were way too the big. They were, they didn't fit. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 
Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they, yeah. they came out with those. That was a long, yeah, that was a long yeah. time ago. I had yeah. to dust that off. And uh, so so those, those were like the early days of, um, you know, YouTube existed, but it was not prolific. And nobody who was posting YouTube videos, as a matter of fact, my sensei used to say, don't watch YouTube. There's only junk on there. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and it's amazing how the world has changed in all these years. So I love it. I love where it is now. And I feel like we're still growing. I started to notice. So when I, I, I started failings of doing all jujitsu stuff and geese, all that. But then when I fell in love with Nogi, I decided to just do Nogi. But the big reason was I felt like I was losing touch with the gi game because the longer I was doing no gi, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, the gi, it just kept, they were evolving so much. And so I thought, I don't feel very confident that I could put out a good gi because there's, I have a tiny group of assistants and me, there was nobody else in Phalanx and no one here is doing gi. So I actually weighed it. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to put out a gi if it's, if it isn't going to be awesome. Like I care so much about that, but, uh, it was metamorous, you know, early yeah. metamorous. I was watching those. This was before fight. This was for all those guys, you know, it was metamorous. Yeah. And the first metamorous was like all these gi events. And then one no gi event. And then the second metamorous was like half gi and half no gi. And then the third or fourth one or whatever was like all no gi and one or two gi at the end. And that's when I realized, I was like, I think no gi is going to get a lot bigger because look at the market is watching this. They're adjusting to the market. And then when the UFC signed a deal with Reebok, that's when I also was like, ooh, no gi is going to be big because it's a huge component of MMA is no gi jujitsu. Now you can say gi and all that. I'm not going to get into the to that, but jujitsu in general is a big part of it. And so when I started seeing these things on the wall with Reebok and with the the events, tur the tournaments becoming more about no gi because it's a little bit faster. It's a little bit you don't have to be as intelligent with jujitsu to kind of understand what's happening with it. And then um, and then my own personal training and not having the confidence in bringing out a gi. That's why we did Nogi for so long until now, right now, actually, we're developed. We've been developing a Gi for probably the last eight months and we were close to launching it. And I still pulled it That's back amazing. because we weren't yeah. ready. And the reason is because I've got a plethora of people who do Gi now that work for me and yeah. they basically were revolting. Like this, <laughs> we, this needs to happen like all right well now i'm cool because you guys are confident in the quality that i expect and what we're going to bring out and you're going to be testing it and so i i have this gi and i fired it off to a couple black belts and brown belts one of which is a gentleman named croiler gracie and that kid was literally born in a gi and so what better way to get testing so i'm in the testing phase now where i've got some black belt savages out there who are beating them down and reporting back and then we're making adjustments. And then, you know, once we launch, we're, we're never going to stop because we've dabbled here and there. But once we do this next one, it's we're going to just go forever. And it's because we built the confidence that I know we can put out a good quality product now. And I would rather uh, not drop a gi and lose potential revenue, but also maybe 
tarnish the reputation. Mm. So I just waited until the next month, few months from now. Well, well, now I know where this conversation is going to end. But before we get to the new arrivals, I need to hear a little bit more about how the business formed. So you make these gi pants. They're a big hit. You get them into the hands of some some 10th Planet guys. Eddie Bravo's loving it. Yeah. What, what, you love no gi, so you start making no gi gear. You're looking at Metamorris. When do you know that this is a business? Like, when do you have a real bit? When, when can you leave your full time job to go pursue this? Oh, that took a long time. <laughs> that took a while, man. It's so much easier now for these younger people who are doing it. Back then, it was hard. There wasn't, I mean, Alibaba, I don't even know if it was there yet. It might have, I don't know, because I wasn't even using them yet. But um, so it took me years. Um, but if I look back now, I could have done it faster, but it took me, I'm, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to take risks. That's the only way. That's it. You have to take risks, measured risks. I lean a little more towards measuring a little bit better than most people, where someone like a Gary V is just go, 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 go and deal with it later. I measure a little more. So it probably took me a little bit longer, but um, I was living real lean in the beginning. I would wake up in the morning. And I'd work on failings. I'd go to my work. I'd sit in my cubicle. I'd work all until lunch. I would drive home at lunch because I was about 10 minutes from my house. I'd work on failings during my whole lunch hour. Then I'd go back to the office and then I would eat at my desk while I was working the last half of my shift. Then I would get off work and I'd go home and I'd work on failings. And I did that probably for two solid years, seven days a week, no vacation, no nothing, just grinding and just doing it. And then it started to make a little bit more money, a little bit more money. And then I was able one to- One-man army, just you? Um, so I, it was me. I did have a partner at one point. Uh, we were working together a little bit. But as far as the inside of failings, building failings, not talking about any outside like connections or um, um, making acquaintances and, and, and relationships. If you're just talking about building this thing, making the stuff, designing the stuff, shipping the stuff, printing, cutting, all of that was definitely, it's been, that was just me. Like it, wow. I don't wish it on anybody to go start an apparel company where you're doing the sewing, the customer service, the graphic design, the marketing, the sales, the CFO, the CEO. I don't wish it on anybody, but uh, that's how it was for a while. And then I started to hire certain assistants and so forth. And, and that's honestly, that's where everything came from, from there, in my opinion, for, for, for where I'm at in life came from those moments of realizing that I need to bring on a team and then how I've figured out how to get the right team players. And then also having some very bad team players and, uh, and working through that and dealing with what that's like and coming out on the other side and rewarding great behavior, removing the people who are no good. That that's literally where it all came from. And then over time, I just made more and more and more, but I had to take a massive pay cut in the beginning because I just wanted to be home working more. So I just, whatever I just needed for bare bones life is what I ended up doing. Quitting the day job. I cashed out my 401k I went all in, brother. I took all of the things that that institution has built to keep me there, to keep investing, and I cashed and I paid all those fees and all that stuff, and then I went all in on me. And it was 
very hard, very rough times in the beginning, but you never get to see those things. But they that's that's the only reason that it happened, I think, is because I went all in. I have so many things to say off that. Um, she said so much. One about risk, two about going all in, three about um, it, it, there's just there's so many things to unpack, you know. Oh, and then what I was going to ask you about being it from a family. Are you from a family of entrepreneurs? But don't answer that just yet. Talk to me about risk. When John Donahar was on this podcast, he told a story about um, meeting Bernard Hopkins at the backstage of a fight. And what he said was, is that when are, when are you taking the most risk? Like, when are you the most vulnerable? And what he said was, it's actually not when you're in defense covered up. It's, it's when you're on the attack. You know, when you extend yourself out to be oh, yeah. the punch is, is at the moment when you're actually the most vulnerable. And that observation has been one of my greatest insights in business of taking risk and learning how to take measured risk and learning how to look for asymmetric risk where um, yeah. I, yeah. The, the, the rewards are, could be much right. bigger than what I'm actually risking. And so I'm just interested on, on your relationship with risk. That's why I wanted to ask if you're from a family of entrepreneurs, where, where, what's your background? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm from a proud family of hardworking, you know, blue collar. Let's get it done. Let's freaking just work horses. I come yeah. from a family of plow horses that will work harder than anybody, but not necessarily business owners or entrepreneurs. What do you think gave you the confidence and uh, that, you know, F it, I'm going to go leave my desk job to go do is it was because it you were so miserable or is it like what? OK, yeah. So so one, um, I didn't my family weren't entrepreneurs, but I was connected to another family because I had a best friend and he and I met when we were very young. And so I was connected to this other family and I spent a lot of time over there. And his dad uh, was it was an entrepreneur and. And I, this small town that I was in where everybody just had trades and did, you know, little stuff. Here's this guy that's bigger than life. He's like larger than life. He, he owns his own business. It was unheard of to me. And he had a license plate frame that said, I love my job. I love my boss. I'm self-employed. And on all those things that I can print it on me. And as a kid, I didn't realize what he was doing. But what he was really doing was shaping my own destiny because I... I just, I don't work, for, I don't like working for people. I don't like being yeah. told what to do. I just don't. And, um, and so uh, he was a entrepreneurial model in my life that I was very close to. And uh, an older gentleman, and to this day, I'm still very close to him and still get a lot of wisdom from that guy. So the entrepreneurial seed was in there, not directly from my family, but I was connected to it in a way. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting thing to dissect because I, I coach and mentor a lot of young people who want to be business. By the way, I didn't mention this, and I don't know if you know this, but one of the companies that I own is called Mixology Clothing Company. I have uh, 15 brick and mortar retail stores. I have an e-commerce website. We have 350 employees. Like we have a you know pretty nice size clothing Beautiful. business for ourselves. And uh, thank you. And so uh, I, everything you're saying is I'm very very in tune with. I apologize. I didn't give you that frame of reference. Um, but while we were building the business, you know, there have been crazy, crazy moments of grit to just make this business happen to what, especially what it is today from one store, you know, our yeah. seed of innovation. Yeah. But my father was an entrepreneur and my grandfather was an entrepreneur and my great grandparents came to this country with a suitcase and risked everything that they had. Yeah. 
you know, escaping Europe from pogroms and crazy, you know, death. And they showed up to this country and, and you know, Taylor, they were tailors and they owned a laundromat. And so my it was like ingrained in me from the time that I was born. All I knew was entrepreneurship. And so, so occasionally when I when I'm coaching and mentoring young people and they come to me with some kind of business idea and I ask them about their background, they're so fearful to take a risk. Yes. That they didn't have anybody. They don't like you said, they don't even know anybody besides me, maybe who's a business owner. Their parents yeah. were doctors or, yeah. or teachers or garbage men or just any anything. And it's so foreign to them. They don't know it unless they like watch Shark Tank, you know, <laughs> which right. by the way is a great peek into, into the business world. So I'm always fascinated, um, like people like yourself who are able to take this extreme risk to go after what they want. And, and what I'm getting at here is I'm, I, I'm straight up asking you, like, how much was jujitsu potentially an influence in that? Okay, so jujitsu. Here's the influence in jujitsu as it went to business. So when I mentioned 2011, when I when it when it was born, it was not my first business. I started a business number one, and then that business failed. I started a business number two, and then that business failed. I started a business number three, and I got some momentum, and that business failed. Wow. Three failures. I failed three times in a row, invested my own money, my own time. I'm building, I'm doing all these things, fail, fail, fail. And then the fourth business didn't or hasn't because you're never really free. So I never say didn't fail because that to me sounds like you're just, you think you've made it. No, it just hasn't failed yet. It's just been around for 11 years. And then that one worked and then another one worked and then another one worked. And so if I were to quit after the first, the second, or the third, I would still be in that cubicle that I told you I was so unhappy with. So one, what got me to do that was it became an absolute must in my life. I was no longer going to just sit there doing the same. If I do the same week every week, then that means I'm doing the same month every month. And if I'm doing the same month every month, that means the same year. And therefore, I'm living the same life the same life in the same week, it was terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. It was, there was no option. So like they say, you want to take the islands, burn the boats. I burned my boats. I cashed out everything and I went all in. And it's the, and it's because I had, there's no way I was going to go work for that asshole and those people and that dead end thing. I just, I had to get out. I had to, and I would do whatever it takes to get out. And I still feel that way today. If something were to happen and I go to rock bottom again, I don't care. I know I'm going to get out. I don't know how. And so the, the risk is what is the downside? The downside of the risk to me was an entire life of being unhappy. And I only have one life. So there's no risk that's worth uh, or not worth doing if you frame it that way. And then how did jujitsu play? Well, like I had said, the first business wasn't, it was a couple failures, then was the jujitsu one. But I had another jujitsu one upstream from that, it just had failed. So I just knew, that, and I looked around me, and that's what I, so I do private clients too, I coach people, I've got to a place where I'm so happy, and I've discovered what my real true passion in life is. And so when I coach people, my thing is, just look around you, and what are you loving? What are you into that you love to do? And try to go do do something in that. 
You know, there's a, they say like, well, you don't have to be passionate about your business. You definitely don't. But if you're a, some, a nobody and you're trying to build up from nothing, the easiest way to have the momentum behind you emotionally is if it's something that you're into. Because then you're going to show up for it. You're not just trying to make a crypto million dollar company. It's no, nah, dude, I freaking love jujitsu. So I'm getting after it and I'm designing and I'm observing. I'm making things. I'm talking to people. I'm getting into it. Find what you're getting into. I just happen to be into jujitsu. And at that time, you know, this gets a little solemn, but, you know, my dad had passed away and it was a very urgent thing. And I was rocked by it and I'm living by myself and I'm not really sure what to do. But when I was kind of going through the worst part about it, the one thing I never stopped doing was jujitsu. You know, I'd get depressed and I would like, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do these things. I'm sad. But for some reason, I just kept, I always went there. And so I just knew that I have such a deep love for jujitsu that I could probably find a business in here. And uh, then I just looked at what I was wearing. I hated what I was wearing. And I decided I'm going to go make it better. And then there's the, the, there's the story about the, the sewing machine. Wow. I, I'm going to summarize everything you just said is uh, work is a gift from God. You know, you just have to love to work hard. That's it. It doesn't matter what you're working on. I really don't know much about women's clothing, to be quite frank with you, even though I'm the CEO of a pretty large, medium sized women's clothing business. My sister is the expert on women's clothing. Uh, all of my background is in commercial real estate, building, you know, construction, building, leasing, working with tenants. We happened to make a really good team for growing out of business in that sense. Mm -hmm. But from the time that I was little, I always had jobs, caddying, you know, uh, catering, just working, making money, just, and, and that became the thing that I really loved was just the, the fulfillment of working. And then my experience with risk, because as I'm not a natural risk taker, I'm a natural entrepreneur, yeah, I love business, yeah. not a natural risk taker. Yeah. Jitsu taught me to appreciate risk. Jiu-jitsu taught me to appreciate the hard work, showing up night after night after night, not being the best, always being humbled, always getting tapped, always getting sweat dripped all over me. You know, it's a, it's a very humbling thing. And as I was growing my businesses and becoming more and more and more successful financially, you ain't shit when you're getting tapped out after that at the end of the night. You know, you just have to show up again and again and again. That's Yesterday, I, I had the opportunity to speak to about 100 specialty retailers. I was a panelist on a, a webinar for Omnichannel Retail. And the average attendee of this seminar is someone who owns a store who hasn't yet launched a website. It's like, how could it be 2022 and you still don't have a website? And so these people are very interested, but they've either tried to have a website and it failed or they're a little bit older and they don't necessarily understand the technology or they're a fashion person and they're not a technology person and they're so fearful. And yeah. so one of the questions that was posed to me was, you know, how do you do this if you're, you're not the business and you're not a technical person? I said, do you think Mixology, that's my company, was successful our first time out? Just like you. I had tonercentral.com. That was an epic failure before. Mixology was on the balls of its ass so many times where we just had to figure it out. Yes. I had 12 bookkeepers before I now had, but you know, he was my controller. Yes. And now he's my CFO. But for over three years, I had 12 bookkeepers. Yeah. I had one of those guys, he sent a, a $26,000 check twice out to a company when yeah. we needed that $26,000. Yeah. We're like, where is our money? Yeah. How about this? Yeah. I still don't have a bookkeeper because I haven't found <laughs> what I like. 
So we're still looking. Yeah, it's crazy. And so these, the reason why I love telling these stories and I love hearing your story is because so many people don't know this. They just look at what you have. They go to your website, Phalanx. Oh my God, look at the, uh, Eddie Bravo's wearing this. He must have all the shit together. It must have always been perfect. But all of my greatest moments have been on the heels of solving some catastrophic problem at some catastrophic time. Hurricane Sandy here on the East Coast. COVID was insane for us. The you know, New York State government, at the time I had 10 stores, made me send home 170 employees furloughed. You know, we had 30 employees left and we had to keep this business alive. And so yeah. I'm interested. I, the reason why I bring that up is because I'm not sure if you remember this, but the first time that I reached out to you was in, during COVID. And I said, uh, hey, you want to be on the podcast? I was restarting it. And you're like, I am in saving my business mode. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to know, like, what was yeah. COVID like for Phalanx? It's what you say um, about risk taking, you know, measured risks. And then just having just, you just have to just keep getting back up. You know, I, I just, I put together a post that I'm going to do. And um, I've been doing more private clients. And it's, I'm getting a lot better at teaching because of that. And the one thing that I'm recognizing in these young entrepreneurs is they, they just they give up. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't, don't say you don't know something because you have Google and YouTube, first of all. And then second, just don't quit. <laughs> I, that's the thing. Just I, I will... You can hit me, knock me down a million times, and I guarantee you I will get back up again. And so that's jujitsu, right? I, there's nobody that's at purple belt level, blue belt level. What Nobody goes to jujitsu because they're fired up to go tap somebody out. You go to jujitsu because of the journey. You're going to get your ass handed to you more often than not throughout that entire journey. And that is exactly what happens in business. You are going to get your ass handed to you more often than not. And so you have to just take it on the chin and keep moving forward. With, whereas for me, becoming very exceptional at emotional resiliency and not getting worked up about anything and processing it and making intelligent decisions. So that kind of the philosophy comes from, from jujitsu is just, Hey, if you're coming into jujitsu to be a, a you know win all the time, it's the wrong place. If you're coming into business because you're just going to win all the time and life is awesome all the time, you're in the wrong place. Because more often than not, bad things are happening. You know, so the philosophy was there. And then I don't remember exactly when it was that you emailed me because I don't know if it was 2020 or 2021. So um, there there were two separate fires that I was putting out in those two years. Um, but um, I took a big measure, a big risk, and it it put a, I, I put us in a very precarious place because of that. And it was 2020, and I'll try to be quick because I know we, we don't have a lot of time. Um, I really want to mention something, too. Uh, so 2020, it, it's coming the end of the year. Trump is still around. You know, and I don't give a shit about politics, but he was saying things about tariffs on China and doing a lot of things about bringing things to America. And I was thinking if that guy wins and then he does those things, all my international shipping, I don't know if this. So I was like, I'm not sure what to do here. It, we've been in this for a whole year. COVID's not going away. So I, what I decided to do is pack up all of my operations and move it domestically, mm -hmm. all of our everything and move it to 
warehouse and storage, manufacturing, everything done here in the United States. And uh, that ended up being such an incredible expense over month, over month, over month. And the and, and this is the part that kind of irritates me about when people talk about bringing back jobs is you go, you can bring back the steel mills and stuff, but then you got to make sure people want to work there. And then those people will got to show up and they got to be paid well. And it is just it was a total wrong move that I did. Um, and then mm. as 2021 started to emerge and then, you know, things are opening up, Biden wins, this whole fear of uh, international business seems to slow down. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I'm like, okay, we're getting out of there and we're going back to what we did. And, <laughs> and I even used the same term. I used build back better. And I said, listen, I had created a whole whole project. I said, this is going to be build back better, but we're going to do it for real. Like we're actually going to do it. We're going to say we're going to do it. And so I'm actually really pleased to tell you that right now in the place that we're in, the products, the geese, the bags, the the other, some other things that I want to talk about that are coming in the next year, 10 months, seven months, are we're way beyond where we were in 2019 because of the thing that I did in 2020 that put us in a bad spot. I had to get real creative and I had to work real hard to get us back to where we were. And, but then we emerged into a better place. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I'm really happy to hear it. My favorite rash guard is the black ops rash guard right before this podcast started. I went and I saw that you had the black ops too. So I, I just scooped up a black ops too. I'll send you a picture of it when I, when I get it. Uh, But I, that's, that's amazing to hear for me. All of my greatest moments of growth have come on the heels of these, crazy things that have happened while it's happening. It's really hard to get super focused. But the thing about COVID was I had so much kind of wartime CEO experience from Hurricane Sandy and from some other crazy shit that had happened in my career, tons of lawsuits, tons of just insane insanity um, and doing big deals. But while COVID was happening, it was such an epic disaster. Everything was falling down. 600,000 businesses are out of business. 170 of my employees are furloughed. All of my physical stores are closed. And I made a few decisions that turned out to be the best business decisions of my career, two of, in mixology at least. And two of those were, I started looking to open stores while my stores were closed. And I went on a hiring spree. While everybody was saying how hard it was to find people, I was actively recruiting to go pick up all of these incredible people that were furloughed. Yeah. And that was specifically and directly in proportion to, you know, my learning from, from John Danahar on risk and asymmetric risk. And my thinking at the time was if the whole country's going down, I'm fucked anyway. Yeah. You know, like if my business is going out of business, these people right. are already furloughed. Yeah. And if I, I can, I'm never going to be able to negotiate a deal like this on rent. So I was out there and I was, living on phone and zoom. And I ended up opening three stores on the heels of COVID. Nice. And by in June, we had one. And then by September I had two. And then by the end of the year, I had three right out of 2020 gates. It was crazy. Yeah. And, it just, and then, and then, you know, what happened with the pendulum, the world opened up and everybody wanted to go do everything that they couldn't do while they were locked inside of their houses. And so it was a huge, just like you, it was a huge gamble. It was a huge risk. Massive uh, financial risk to myself building out all those stores and hiring all those people. Yeah. But today I have about there's we have 350 employees, but 10 of the of the people that I was able to go hire and recruit. These these are like 
some of my most trusted and best employees now. And we have an incredible bond because when their companies left them out to dry and they were like, how the hell, this was before the stimulus check started coming out. Like, how am I going to pay my rent? And I'm calling them like, hey, come work for me. Mm-hmm. And now I'm paying them during mm-hmm. COVID. It was just, it was a crazy, um, it was a crazy moment in time. I have other business stories like that, but. I love it. Uh, You're right though. That's jujitsu. And it, you, you've been, you were tested. You mentioned how you were, you've had lawsuits and you, I've had all that too. I, yeah. it, I've been, I've been, had to go to court. I've had numerous attorneys trademark this, you know, EDD that I've had all of that. I've had happy employees that are on top of the world and so grateful to work for me. Yeah. And then I've had employees that, you know, came to my house and broke, tried to break things. And <laughs> I've had it all brother. And yeah. throughout that, you just, you just get hardened by it. Your exterior gets hardened. My interior doesn't get hardened, but the exterior gets hardened where something comes. It's like, okay, what are we going to, how are we going to figure this out? And you have to get that. So I know a lot of young entrepreneurs listen to your show. You, you got to develop that early on and it comes from adversity. So you don't want to shy away from it. You don't want to shy away from telling somebody they're fired by doing it in a text or an email. You don't want to make, don't make your life any easier. Go head, go head on for whatever that thing is and own it because the problems that you have in the beginning and I'm tiny compared to the rest of the world and you and even past all of that, it only gets worse. The problems only get bigger. So you just, in the beginning, you have to really just accept that I'm always going to have problems and it's my job to solve them because I'm the boss. Yep. Everything is going to boil down to my responsibility. And so I'm not going to shy away from any of those obstacles. And I'm just going to co- go over every single one of them. And as I gain more more money in a bigger business, they're just going to get bigger and bigger. So I better start now. And you had you got tested. I didn't have the Katrina. So I was tested on the internal side of failings with all kinds of things going on over the years, you know, with lawsuits and whatnot. So COVID was my first external challenge. And I love it. I love that we went through COVID because of how much my team grew as a team, not like numbers, how strong we are. I mean, I'm so proud of what we have. And I'm just talking specifically of the failings business. Yeah. And it came through measured risks. It came through the journey is the important part, not your money or your cars or any other shit you want to buy. Those are the things that you really got to focus on. And then eventually the traffic kind of opens up and now you're in a place where fewer people are because there's a traffic jam with everybody who's trying to get started. And then it gets a little bit easier in in that way. Problems are bigger, but it's a little smoother, I think. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, I have a few things pulled up. I know you said you had something you wanted to share before we... Uh, we start to wrap over here, but I, I did want to share here a few of your business dealings. So first and foremost, uh, failingsfc.com. Great website, great assortment. I'm a big fan. Love the gear. Here is, I wear it multiple times a week. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, I live in my stuff. Hey, here well, on, you're, you're a big gee guy too, right? Yeah. 
I love I do gi, I do gi and no gi every every week. I don't when miss. We get our, when we get this thing dialed in, I'll give you one to get your honest feedback. But you have to give me your honest feedback. I don't want any lip service. I will I will give you my honest feedback, and I will be I will purchase it because I always love to support businesses. I can't. It's not in my soul to take anything. But if you send me a link to buy it, I will buy it. Fair um, enough. Phalanx underscore USA on Instagram. Yeah. And then I was, I, I love this. I found this on your site and I did not know about this, but you have two programs. One, uh, free cash for your gym. You've got a, a great program going on for gyms in need. Right now. That's the thing I wanted to elaborate on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Go for it. So I'm leave this up while you talk about it. Yeah. This is it, brother. This is it. This is what gets me up so much. Okay. Failings, jujitsu brand. Fuji, jiu-jitsu brand, Kings, Corral, whatever. What makes you different? Well, I'll tell you what makes us different. And it's not just the pattern development and source products and all of that. And it's not our outstanding customer service because our customer service is incredible. It's because, that, because we give back, period, end of story. We give back more to the jiu-jitsu culture than any other brand combined. I'm talking... People will hit us up and say, I lost all of my stuff and my car got robbed and I had all my gear in there. And then like, I got you. We'll hook them up. You know, I hear a jujitsu business, a gym, um, they needed new mats. We bought new mats for them. Like we've done so much, my friend, to do it. But wow. this, this is the first time I've actually mobilized people. Wow. Everything has just been us giving and giving and giving hundreds of thing products a year. We're just giving it out there. Um, we've done, we've sponsored um, underprivileged youth programs going all the way back to 2013. I mean, we've done all that, right? But check this one out. That one right there, we're calling it the United We Roll campaign. And what we're doing is we have uh, created a whole set of products, tees, rash guards, uh, spats, whatever. There's a whole collection you can go to for this particular offering. And every single product, there it is, everything that you buy right there is going to get put into a little bucket. And when that bucket's over, all of the profits from this entire campaign is going to be divvied up. And then I'm going to give it to gyms. It's just going to go, here's money. I haven't figured out which gyms. I haven't figured out how much in each gym. But there's a survey that anybody can fill out where you go nominate your gym for the cash infusion. Yep. And then anybody who actually makes a purchase, they get four times the amount of um, votes. So they're obviously more likely to win. If you're just going and filling out the survey, you can, but your chances are going to be a lot lower because what am I trying to do here? I'm trying to give money. I'm trying to give back. And the reason for this, Jordan, is that I believe that the jujitsu gym is the most precious but fragile component of our entire industry. Because if there is no jujitsu gym, there is no Gordon Ryan. There's no Geo. There's no Richie. They don't exist. And if they don't, if that doesn't exist, why do brands exist? There's no brand if there's no gym. There's no superstar athlete if there's no gym. There's no tournament if there's no gym. It is the cornerstone of everything that we do. And that's why it's the most precious. But here's why it's the most fragile. When you start a jujitsu gym, you did not get a Harvard MBA. You started a jujitsu gym because you just love jujitsu. You don't know anything about business, most likely. You just love jujitsu and you want to teach and you want to make this into your life. And then what ends up happening is you start a jujitsu business 
And now you are a business owner. Now you have a profit and loss and a balance sheet and a cash flow and you've got operations and marketing and you have insurance, and you have taxes and legal obligations. You have all these things. And I can tell you, cause I've worked with over 300 gyms at this point. Wow. I've probably been in more gyms than anybody in our industry uh, that other than maybe an athlete that might tour or something. And I've learned the patterns. And as you know, this is as a, as a business owner many times over, once you see the big patterns and things, it gets really easy. Mm. And so part of what I, what I'm trying to do with these jujitsu gym owners is that I want to give back. I want to help them. And so I've been coaching them on the side for years. I've been coaching people on the side, but I want to do more. And so I'm starting to do more um, outward coaching. That's like bigger, but with this, we're going to take all those proceeds and I've, I'm going to read every single one of these entry forms. And there's a part in there where you tell us your story. Why should your gym get this cash infusion? I'm going to read every single one of them and I'm going to figure out who, what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to just call them up and try to get a hold of the head instructor and go, Hey, I sold, I'm going to give you this much money. Why? Because I appreciate you because mm -hmm. we need you because you're the most important part of what we do. And that I hope that you use this to strengthen your company because I lost so many clients in 2020 because of COVID my, my wholesale clients, my B2B mm. and it broke me. I was so sad. I'm a very emotional person. I even cried at one point because one of the gym owners, he said, I have to close my doors forever. Yeah. And I happened to know that that gym owner, like many others, he was the head instructor. His wife ran the back office and that was their entire nest egg mm. and they had children. So I just knew in that, in that email that he, what he was actually saying was I now have nothing and I have to figure out how to support my child. And it pissed me off so much that it just happened in life that I decided that I'm going to make my mark on jujitsu by helping these jujitsu gym owners get stronger with business, get better with understanding all those lists that I gave you with the tax efficiency and all of this other stuff. And my first penetration into doing that is going to be running this big campaign, trying to get as much money as I can, putting it all together, paying expenses, taking what's left over, and then just boom, I'm going to shove that shit right back into the culture. <laughs> Incredible. Absolutely amazing. I love your passion for it. And uh, I hope that I could be of service. And uh, please, please let me know when this uh, rolls out fully and you make the announcement so I could help resyndicate the message. And now I know what we could do with the gi. When you send me uh, a gi, I'll send you back $500 towards, uh, towards this program so that we can uh, get it going. You're a so, good man. You're a good my, man. That's the first time someone said that to me. Oh. Uh, I got you. Well, I, I would love to be a service to the project and business jujitsu is a friend. And, uh, and please, if you, uh, if you remember, just call on me and I'll promote it and I will support it. And if you ever need anybody who has uh, dealing with some business issues and they need it to be told straight what's going on, I'd be happy to do that. I do yeah, that. A lot. I, don't have, I don't have a business or clients. I just mentor a lot of people, people who come to me off the podcast, people who come to me in my academy. That's how it all started. Actually, business jujitsu was, Nice. People coming, young people coming to me with, with all their questions about business, not just young people, even a lot of friends, retiring police officers and firefighters, yeah. they, some business idea they've been dreaming about. 
Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to hit you up because I'm going to run a virtual seminar slash workshop where I teach jujitsu gym owners how to master retail sales because oh. I have one client right now. I want to say his name because then everybody's going to go after him. But yep. I have one client right now who owns a jujitsu a jujitsu business and he did over $100,000 in retail sales just for an apparel that I sell him in wow. his that's it. So a revenue stream of you can reach $100,000 in a freaking year by doing this. I'm going to do a whole seminar where I get people to like, you got to get in on this. You can't just have membership. I and you occasionally go get a t-shirt every now and then. You got to get it into a cyclical flow. So when it comes time to putting that together, you know, you've got a lot of experience, man. Um, we've been on a similar path, just not realizing it. I yeah. can see things coming together. Sure. Well, if you uh, if you stay in touch and you and you let me know about it, I'd be happy to be involved or be a guest speaker. Talk about retail. Talk about the clothing business. You know, just talk about business generally. Uh, as a landlord, I actually have a, a number of martial arts academies around the country. I have a martial arts academy here in New York, Karate Studio. I'm very very close with him. I mentor him. I have a uh, martial arts academy in Texas. I had another one in. I used to have a jujitsu academy in Texas. He moved, but. Uh, you know, formed really nice relationships over the years and helped them with all kinds of fundamental business techniques. So that's why this project exists in the first place, to have these conversations. We're trying to do the same thing. We both love jujitsu, but we both see that it needs help. And that's what we're here for. My life's mission emerged during failings. I didn't know what I wanted in life. I know exactly what I'm on this earth to do now. And this is a part of it this right here making a mark and giving back is a part of it we're always donating we're always doing that you can go to our giving back page on the website and see a feed of what we've been doing and we're just going to keep doing more so i'd love to have you be a part of that um, we donate every year we do four four big limited editions where all of the profits are donated wow. we do one called the autism we do an autism one which that one was a beautiful story in 2020 my god um, and then we also do uh, this one here, the Unity, the United We Roll. Those are the two charitable ones that we do every year. The other two are, are for profit, but there's a Halloween in a USA. But those are the two that we do every single year, no matter what. We just started the Unity one, but the, the, the autism one we've been doing every year. We did it this year, and I had a bunch of people coming at me. So I was like, whoa, we better do this every year. So now we're going to do those every year. We're going to keep giving product away to people every year or all the time. We're constantly doing free stuff. Hit us up. If we're just open is what we are. We're not just an apparel brand. We're people. We're people who do jujitsu. We're trying to do our best and put the best stuff that we have out there. And we're trying to help everybody that we can and work together because jujitsu is really just one big family. Perfectly said. And I think we'll end it on that. Chris. Like I said, I'm at your service, so please uh, let me know how I can help when uh, when you roll these out. And it's been uh, an honor getting to know you, and uh, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for your time. It's an honor to speak to you as well. I'm very appreciative of your time. Have a great day. Bye-bye. See you, brother.